Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and like you, it's not personal development I'm so interested in. It's what it provides me, such as happiness and purpose and fulfillment. To have these things, we must grow and become more aware and able. So I work with the world's largest publishers and agencies to bring you the cutting-edge experts on the subjects of self-help for in-depth conversations that help us understand and engage in our own self-help. In this episode, we're talking about literally increasing our minds and bodies ability and capacity as you'll hear shortly i mean think about just recharging your smartphone or your computer but when you get a new operating system and the thing reboots and boom you actually have more capability wouldn't you like to do that for yourself i'm with colin o'brady 10 time world record breaking explorer speaker entrepreneur and expert on mindset his feats include the world's first solo unsupported and fully human powered crossing of antarctica speed records for the explorers grand slam and the seven summits that's mount everest and all the biggest peaks on planet earth and the first human powered ocean row across drake's passage Collins' highly publicized expeditions have been followed by millions of people. His work's been featured on the New York Times, The Tonight Show, The Today Show, Joe Rogan even, that guy with a podcast almost as popular as this one. Collins' TEDx talk has nearly 3 million views, and he's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Impossible First. And now, new book, The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. We really get in depth in this talk, just looking at why we go from kids with these big ideas and goals and relegate ourselves to just working to pay the bills and existing and hoping to get some entertainment by watching the exploits of guys like Colin. I think you'll find a lot to resonate with. You can find Colin at colinobrady.com. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, subscribe, leave a review about this episode, which a bunch of you have been doing lately. Just great reviews. Thank you. And best of all, share something you learned, something you heard, something of interest from this episode with someone else today. Talk about it at dinner, at lunch, whatever. You'll get more out of it and you'll help give someone else's day some benefit. You can connect with me at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Colin O'Brady and this discussion on upgrading our operating system. All right, Colin, I'm going to kickstart us by uh, sharing. So I have a good friend that I'm going to give a call out to, Laura Rayburn. She's out of Phoenix, Arizona. I've known Laura for six, seven years. She's a... Um, kind of an ultra endurance, you know, runner does a lot of competitions, mountain bikes, whatever. Anyway, she just sent me a picture. I just saw one, uh, she posted and we talked, she just did Kilimanjaro. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Love it. I love it. That's probably a day hike for you, but, um, uh, still, a, still a pretty awesome feat. Oh, it's a great climb. Congrats, Laura. That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally fun. You know, it, you know, looking at your, at this book and just your own history and all the stories that you're telling, I found myself, and maybe I could have gone and searched for it, but since we're talking, I thought I'd ask just context on you. I mean, as we're talking about, you know, what is your Everest and going after your dreams and whatnot, what was your upbringing? I was curious just with family, did your parents or whoever brought you up, did they support that concept of doing something that you really enjoy? Because I know you went to Yale too, and um, give me a background. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I I certainly 
don't have the, you mentioned Yale, but that was probably an unsuspecting place for me to end up um, okay. based on where I grew up. I, uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, but I was actually born on a hippie commune in Olympia, Washington. So my parents were young when they had me um, there in their early twenties. Uh, and I'm the youngest. So they had a couple of kids before me as well, but I, uh, I was literally born on a hippie commune with 30 people hanging out as my mom birthed me on a futon playing Bob Marley redemption song on repeat. So <laughs> pretty awesome. Pretty untraditional upbringing. Uh, my dad was an organic farmer. He's still an organic farmer. Actually, he lives on Kauai now as an organic farmer there. Um, but I both predominantly grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So in Portland, Oregon, mainly. Um, and my parents, like I said, were, were young hippies, basically, um, and uh, didn't have a lot of money, but had big dreams and big hopes and desire to have big sweeping impact in the world. They're really passionate about food and health and the um, you know, sort of organic food movement in the late 80s into the 90s, natural foods. Um, so I grew up around a lot of those values, um, but also values around chasing your dreams. You know, yeah. my mom says that she whispered in my ear every single day when I was a little kid, you know, you can achieve anything you set your mind to. So when I look back on, you know, you know, the 10 world records I have now and different achievements and different experiences and certainly the unorthodox way that I've chose to live my life, I would say it's absolutely a product um, of sort of just what my, what my parents were, were whispering to me day in and day out as a kid. That's what I was hunting for to see if that was in line with, if you were set up for this unorthodox life, you talk about it, or if it was something contrary to your upbringing. And I, I love to hear that story because I had, and I can't say my folks were on a hippie commune, but uh, they did really set me up for that unorthodox life, which is an interesting way to say it. Because as you really give the initial pre uh, impetus of the book of, you know, going after your dreams and doing that thing that your heart's, your heart calls to your passions, you know, whatnot. It's, it's kind of unfortunate, you know, it's dramatically unfortunate that that is so unorthodox that we're in a time and a place when that is unorthodox, as opposed to why is that not the norm? I mean, that's really where you got me as I'm reading through the book and looking at some of your concepts and thinking, you know, where did we get to that place of life is just kind of survival. You do what you got to do until you can have some entertainment at the end of the day. And that that's a life. And yeah, uh, again, so yeah, that, that there, I guess there's the, the point. Why is no, I, doing what you're doing so unorthodox? Yeah, no, it's funny. And I actually love the way you frame that question. I, it, it, intuitively, it seems like following your dream and following your heart um, and following your passion should be the norm, right? If you really think about that on surface level. Um, but too, too often, that's not the case. Um, you know, this book called The 12 Hour Walk is really, you know, it, it, it arcs around a bunch of the adventure stories from my life, you know, crossing Antarctica solo, something it never, no one had ever done, rowing a boat across Drake Passage, climbing Everest twice, K2, etc. Um, but at its core, the message is I ask, what's your Everest? Saying, I'll tell you a bunch of things, adventure stories from my life, because that is what has lit me up and that where my heart is. But that might not be your dream. In fact, I expect it's not. But but what is your Everest? What what drives you? Um, and it's interesting because I think it's a fundamental question to ask ourselves. But too often, as we get older, um, we don't ask that question. We ask more the question of what does society expect of me? What does my family expect of me? What should I be doing, um, etc. And that leads us down a very different path. Um, you know, something that I have thought about and I read about in this book towards the beginning, um, I've kind of started to think about life on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. Um, this idea that, you know, one being our lowest low moments and, and 10 being our highest highs. 
Um, and I've experienced a lot of both. You know, I was burned in a fire, told I would never walk again normally. I've freezed my butt off for 54 days alone in Antarctica. There were a lot of low moments there. But through those challenges, I've also experienced my highest highs, those tens. And what I've come to realize is that what you're talking about, about following passions, is our lives in our modern society too often we're stuck between four and six people are living a life. That's kind of like, it's good enough. You know, like I have this job. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It pays the bills. It puts a roof over my head. It's, eh, it's fine. Or I'm in, I'm in a relationship and you know, we're not madly in love. We don't hate each other, but like, eh, like it's okay. Like it's fine. And I, and I call that in the book, the zone of comfortable complacency between four and six. And one of the reasons I think we end up there so often is we are so afraid of the ones. We are hedging so much against taking any risks or having any setbacks or any you know hardships that by doing so, we also don't let ourselves live the tens, right? I, I've realized with all my tens upon reflection of those high highs, they haven't come in spite of the ones, but because of them, because of the willingness to let the pendulum swing, the full sort of swing of life experience. And so, you know, one of the messages of this book and one of my core messages is asking yourself that question, what's your Everest? But in so chasing it, understand that you are going to face some hard times. And guess what? That's the fabric of life. That's what makes the full tapestry and gets you outside of that zone of comfortable complacency to a most fulfilled life that you can fully unlock your best self and your best life. Uh, Agreed and realizing that it is unorthodox, like you say. I mean, we live in a culture that is really giving us the social norm, expectation, and even pressure to be in that four to six. And, and Colin, I got to, I got to tell you, there's a, my, my listeners know well, cause I talk about it a lot every Friday forever. Uh, I meet with a handful of guys. We just do life together and had one years back. And he was talking in relation to marriage, which is a, a really, you know, can be a really acute crucible, I think for all of us relationships. But he said that too. He says, okay, so here we are with our marriage and it's, you know, a four, six, a seven, maybe where would we like it to be a nine, but to get it there, you're going to have to come together and deal with some stuff. And you're gonna have to go down to a two for a while. That was his analogy. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah. don't, we don't want to do that. And all the guys are at the table are going, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Uh, I, no, no, thanks. Especially relationally. Now I relate more to it. Like you do from a physical standpoint. So I was, I was, I'm an ex pro cyclist, you know? And yeah. yeah. You got to, to have the high man, you go being on the podium. You don't see all the time down in the one <laughs> no. that you were. And we, I think we understand it there, man, but in the other areas of life that where we're looking at, yeah, with relationships and finances and whatnot, totally. I, we don't want to go to that one, but I hear what you're talking about. You don't get the 10 without the one. And there we sit. Well, I love what you say. I mean, relationships is probably the most difficult, the most vulnerable, but also really when you look back on a life well lived, in my opinion, probably by far the most important, right? Totally. And to, to your point, you know, I fortunately have had an incredible relationship in my life. My wife and I have been together for 15 years. Um, and, you know, we met when we were in our early 20s. And, and look, you know, of course, we have had our ups and downs. Just you know, been with somebody for 15 years. That's, that's going to inevitably happen. But we have had such a deep connection with one another over time. We've, we've built and established all these dreams and projects together. Um, we, we've dreamed big. We've impacted significant with our nonprofit. She's been with me with all my expeditions, et cetera, build our businesses together. But I love what you say. Forget about the external of that, the, the what we've done in business, what we've done in life. It's 
the relationship, right? Sitting quietly in a room one-on-one with one another. And it's interesting to hear your reflection with your buddies because um, I think that's a common conversation, which is I want a nine, but you know what that would require? That would require sitting vulnerably with my partner, looking them in the eyes and telling them what, what I'm afraid of, what's not working, what I can do better, being honest about how I can be a better partner, being honest with them about how they can be a better partner and having that be received. Right. And we know in relationships that so quickly triggers such an intense moment. But if you can move through that moment, that too, as your friend said, move through the intensity, move through the initial triggering or hurt of that, but receive that in an accepting way, that can make you love and trust one another at such a deeper level. But it's hard, man. I mean, I mean, like, you know, I, I, I there, there's times when I've been able to do that. There's times when I haven't. It's, you know, just like life, it's always a work in progress. But to get to that nine, I think it's worth it and, but it's hard, man. It's definitely a challenge. Well, and it feels like it, what we miss. So we're going along in life at the four to the six and we think, okay, I want a nine. So I'm just going to add X, Y, Z, and I'm just going to go where I am and and increase. I mean, that is just, I really feel like that's just our natural logical (laughs) expectation. But then as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if we're looking at the kitchen right now and going, dude, this is some old 70 style stuff and and we we need to upgrade it. What do you do? You remodel, which means what you tear the heck out of the thing and totally destroy that. So if we get three months, you're not going to have plumbing. You're not going to have water. (laughs) You know, you're not going to be able to cook on your stove, but you know, three months later, you're going to have a beautiful new kitchen. You know, that's, that's the process. I love that analogy. Well, and same thing with you. So as you're looking towards, uh, okay, I'm going to row across the, the Drake. What was it? The Drake, uh, Drake passage. passage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to row across that. Okay. I'm going to have to go with a trainer and get my butt kicked and break down all these, you know, muscles. So they build back stronger every day. So I'm going to have to go live down here at a one in order. We again, break down, but man, we don't look at, it's just so counterintuitive to say, okay, if I'm going to go from the four to the six, I can't just do it on this linear progression. I'm going to go dig down to come up and dig down further and come up. And and it's, I guess a a graph chart is what we'd be looking at. Totally. We just don't look at life that way. If not, no, I mean, and you, you bring up a, a good point. You know, the, the book, The 12-Hour Walk, is really framed around limiting beliefs, right? Yeah. It's saying, yeah. hey, we all, myself included, you know, despite whatever accolades or whatever any of us have, we all have, we're human beings, which means we have these doubts, these fears within our own interior dialogue. And each one of the chapters of this book breaks down what I found to be the most 10 most common limiting beliefs that kind of hold us back. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. What if I fail? I, you know, I'm not, I'm not this, I can't claim this a part of my identity. I don't like being uncomfortable. Um, And then one of my core premises is uh, something that I define, I call a possible mindset. So I define that as an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. So basically this dichotomy between we can either live in fear, we can either, you know, live with these limiting beliefs and believe them as truths, or we can shift towards what I call this possible mindset, basically rewrite those limiting beliefs. You, uh, You mentioned it briefly there, which is, you know, I set off to row a boat across Drake Passage. So for those that don't know, the Drake Passage is the most dangerous ocean crossing in the entire world. It's the, the body of water between the southern tip of South America and Antarctica, um, about 700 plus miles. It's where the Southern Ocean, Atlantic and Pacific all converge. There's commonly 40 foot swells, icebergs, whales. You know, it's a it's a rough, rough uh, stretch of ocean. And you know, at that point, I had already crossed Antarctica solo on foot 54 days, something that no one had ever done. And I said, I want to push myself in a unique and interesting way. So 
<laughs> it's kind of a funny story, but I, I get the Discovery Channel to agree to you know film this big documentary about the crossing. I, I, I team up with a bunch of amazing guys. There's going to be six of us. We're in a 28-foot rowboat about two feet off, off the water's edge, You know, open hole, no motor, no sail, nothing. And then I'm honest with myself and those around me. They're like, people are like, so... I actually didn't know that about you, Colin. You've been rowing for like years. You know, you, you've been a you've been a great rower. I actually I knew you were a, a professional triathlete and had done some expeditions, but I just didn't know you were a rower. And I had to look at back at them and go, actually, I've never rowed a boat anywhere in my life. And they're like, wait, what what the hell are you talking about? Right. And I'm like, they're like, oh, so this rowing project across the Drake, that's you know, you're gonna do that in 10 years. And I'm like, no, I'm doing it in three months. I'm doing it in three months. Um, you know on its surface, maybe that sounds ridiculous. Maybe that sounds reckless, um, et cetera. But my mindset always has been, you know, focused around this premise, a a core foundation of a possible mindset, which is a growth mindset saying, acknowledging what I am not in this moment. I am not a rower in this moment. This is a few years ago when this happens. I am not a rower, but I got to add just one word to that yet. I am not a rower yet, right? This idea that Whatever we aren't in this moment, we can grow, we can evolve, we can shift. And then I open, you know, won't give too much away from the book, but I open chapter four of this book, which is around the limiting belief of I'm not a blank. Imagine all the times in your life that you've told yourself, I'm not this, therefore I will never be that, right? This imposter syndrome. And so I find this rowing coach who's a friend of mine, um, who I know knows about to run. I tell him to take me down to the river and teach me how to row. And the first thing I do, keep in mind, three months for me rowing the most dangerous ocean stretch of water is I get in the boat. I try to take one stroke. I'm by myself. And I flip the boat over in six inches of water, basically, and fall out of the boat. Literally fall flat on my face, stroke one. And it's an embarrassing moment. It's rough. It's brutal. It's not an ideal situation. But it's to your point, it's what we need to do, which is to say, I'm not a rower yet. Yet. I picked myself back up. I tried it again. I tried it again. I diligently for the next three months. And long story short, I did complete that the world's first ocean row across the Drake Passage. But it all started in this moment of saying, I have a limit. We have limiting beliefs that say, I'm not this. I acknowledge I'm not this yet, but I said I can evolve and grow into that. And so this book of one of the 10 lessons this book teaches is to say, we are, we are all sorts, we're, we're not all sorts of things in any given moment, but that doesn't mean you can't claim it as part of your identity and start doing it. You know, I make the point that, you know, Kobe Bryant at some point dribbled a basketball for the first time, yeah. or Meryl Streep had to, you know, try out for her first school play before she won however many Oscars she's won and been nominated for. Stephen King had to pen his first few sentences before he wrote 64 best-selling novels, right? We are all novices at some point. But at some point you say to yourself, but I'm going to try that. I'm going to try again and I'm going to try again and I'm going to fail and I'm going to feel some of those ones. But that's the only way that I'm going to get to those higher highs um, of anything that I'm passionate about. Well, and what you say there, again, was interesting just to contemplate for a little bit that when we are kids when we're even youth, even college age, whatnot, we're used to trying stuff. That's by proxy what you do. You try stuff, find out what you like, whatnot. And then real quick, you kind of figured something out and you're done. And how few times I mean, for everybody listening, how few times for yourself or for others, have you heard somebody go, man, I just tried something totally new. Somebody who's in their late twenties, thirties, forties, even, even more so fifties or sixties, man, we just don't really do that, we kind of get set and we don't try 
new things. And yet, like you talked about, Zig Ziglar's famous for saying that anything worth doing is worth doing badly to begin with. And, you know, so I'm, I'm a lifetime athlete. I think pretty highly of my athletic prowess. And I remember the first time I went out and did real rock climbing, like the legit, you know, in the harness, the whole thing. And it was a little difficult to realize, man, I'm, I mean, I'm fit and strong and got good balance and agility and I'm, I'm just not good. How could I be? I've never done this before. You know, I may be able to hang on a little longer than the norm or, or whatever, but man, I was, I was kind of bad. Um, and that's where you start off. And man, we don't, we don't do that. When did we, yeah, kind of abnegate that. That's something you do in your childhood. After that, you just stay, well, safe. You stay safe. Well, and I love what you say about childhood and because I have sort of an anecdotal reference point on that, which is, so um, I, I do a lot of public speaking in two different forums, typically. One is corporate public speaking, you know, yeah. but, you know, big offices that, you know, big companies, stuff like that. And the other is my wife and I, seven years ago, started a nonprofit called Beyond 7-2, which is all focused on inspiring young kids to get outside, move their bodies, live active, healthy lives, inspire kids to you know, really dream big and achieve those goals. Um, You know, those are two really core passions of ours. And it's interesting. So I have obviously pre-COVID haven't been in the classroom as much, but over the years, I spent a lot of time in schools um, in in a big assemblies, you know, 500 plus elementary school kids in a gymnasium, you know, getting them excited about dreaming big. And I asked them that question. I asked them that, what's your Everest question? And it's an easy and obvious metaphor for young people to wrap their mind around. And I'll ask that question and say, I'd love to hear some answers to that. And inevitably, every single time I get 500 hands there's 500 kids in the gymnasium 500 hands shoot up in the air of you know 8 9 10 12 11 year olds and they're like Colin you know my Mount Everest is to be the first person in my family to graduate from college or my Mount Everest is to make sure the snow leopards are off the endangered species I mean I can just literally go kid by kid and they're telling me this is what I dream about this is what I want to achieve this is what I want to do it's amazing and then I asked that question in, you know, I, I ask it of college kids and then I ask it of adults and I ask it of advanced executives. And it's interesting that every single age older that I ask that question, the fewer and the fewer and the fewer hands yeah. that get raised. And so I've like looked at that and go, why is that? And what I realized is this book is, is really at its core talking about what I said, this possible mindset, this empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. And what I realized is we are born with poss- the book is about how as adults we can shift back to a possible mindset, yeah. but it's not something we didn't have. Children, kids are actually born with this innate curiosity and this innate belief in limitless possibilities. And unfortunately, the way our society is set up is that we unlearn that over time. We try a bunch of things. We get into something. We focus. okay, that's what I am. That's what I'm good at. I'm good at math, but I'm bad at writing. I'm, I'm this type of person. I'm not that type of person. I'm a runner, but I'm not a, you know, I'm not a painter, whatever that is. Um, and we set this identity. And so it's interesting to realize that at its core, when I talk about this possible mindset, this is actually something we all have within us in spades. We are born with this and this capacity. Um, and unfortunately over time we unlearn it. So it's very interesting. You say that thing about childhood and the way our our society is set up to encourage trying new things and shifting things. But to your point, your friends, your peers, people we know as the decades progress, 
trying fewer things or even for you you know you're you're a badass you know professional cyclist and you try a new sport and you're like damn i gotta suck at this right i thought i was good at all the things but of course i i have a feeling that you have stuck with it and i'm now have become quite proficient at that as well because you have that mentality but not everyone does well i'm, I'm facing it right now so i got a, a group of guys uh kind of a new set of guys that were we did uh some uh, like a 12-hour mountain bike race together and we've you know so done some things there and they all a lot of them also raft. I just have not done it. I mean, you know, you're in the mountains like I am. There's so many stinking activities. You kind of choose, yep. uh, you know, figure out and rafting has just not been one. So they're going to get me out on the stand up paddle boards and the rafts cool. going down the river. It is cool. It, my ego doesn't, <laughs> right. Doesn't miss that here. I'm a bam. I'm, I can, I can dice on the mountain bike, but they're going to get me on the paddle board and I'm going to fall on my butt over and over and over. And I don't really want to be seen doing that, but I also want to be with them and, you know, we'll, I'll, 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 I'll make it through it and I'll progress. And, you know, to what you're saying though, it is weird on the Everest thing, because you would think here are all these kids with these things that they would aspire to do. And they've really experienced and been exposed to so little. And here we are as adults who have been exposed to so much, you would think that our dream list has just exponentially grown. And the Everest list is like pages long at this point. That seems more like it would make sense. Like I could make a case for that. And of course, what you're saying is no, it's, it's, it's the opposite. We know that we have less things. It did. It just really doesn't make any sense. And again, we're back to that unorthodox thing that shouldn't be unorthodox. It it doesn't make any sense. Um, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So with this 12 hour walk, so here's what you got me thinking, Colin. You're looking at, you're, you're calling people, well, even the tagline, invest one day, conquer your mind, and unlock your best life. And what struck out to me is even your tagline, it obviously presupposes that we have not conquered our minds. Let's start there. Just start right there. Yeah. You know, um, I, I believe that life is, is a work in progress, you know, myself included, you know, any one of us, you know, I believe I'm a lifelong learner and we can always evolve and grow. Um, so that's a core premise. But I do write, you know, I do write uh, sort of tongue, tongue in cheek, but I write it at the very first chapter of this book, which is, hey, th- this book is full of advice, uh, wisdom, but at its core, this is a call to action, which I'm excited to talk about, which is yeah. forget all the things that I'm preaching in this book. I'm asking you to do one thing and through your own lens, you're going to grow and evolve from this. But I do say, hey, but if you've got it figured out, if you've already conquered your mind and you're dialed 100%, I, I invite people to say, set the book down. You know, <laughs> yeah, keep doing your thing. You're crushing life, like two thumbs up. Well, you and know, and if you awesome. have, if you're hearing that you have, uh, text me and let me know and we'll have you on the show. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, I, I say that with, with, with a smile because, you know, my biggest mentors, people I admire, people who I think feel like have it all figured out in their most honest and vulnerable is a, I'm a human being. You know, we all are. You know, we're all going through this. And as I say, those 10 most common limiting beliefs, you might not be experiencing all 10 at once at the highest height, but you've probably experienced some of them over time and most likely are experiencing a lot of them in this moment. So each one of these kind of premises reaches people differently. But you know, at its core, this book, um, I'm excited about the book. I want people to buy the book and read all the pages of the book, of course. But the call to action from this book is simple. I think too often in personal development, you know, there's all these graphs and ideas and charts and things like that, but there's not that many actionable takeaways. Yeah. And what I think is that, it, it, this book is the opposite. I think there's all sorts of great, rich storytelling in this book. And I think you'll be entertained and you'll laugh and you'll cry and all the things as I tell you about adventures and share that of why I'm telling you those stories. But at its core, I'm leaving you with one thing, which is to say, 
I believe and I found that we can make a significant shift in our life by taking one experience, one day, investing one day, as I said. And what it is, is I'll tell you how I came up with it um, kind of through my own expeditions, but it's a 12 hour walk. I'm inviting you to take one day, put it on your calendar. And what it is, is this, you walk out your front door, you put your phone on airplane mode, and you don't listen to any music, any podcast, no external inputs, and you go for a walk alone with your own thoughts. Um, and, and to be clear, to clarify, uh, this is not a competition. There's, there's no, there's no, uh, you don't get any reward for going further or faster. Um, this is meant to meet you right where you're at. This isn't something, oh, I got to train for a year, like a marathon and get prepared. It's like, I literally don't care if you go for one mile, if you go for 50 miles, I've had people of all ages test this. I've had my mother-in-law who's 77. She walked one, one lap around her block and then sat on her porch for an hour in silence and walked another mile, one lap around her block. And that was her 12 hour walk. I've had professional athletes walk, you know, 47 seven miles without stopping, whatever, like it, both of those people are doing this walk correctly. The exercise is less about your uh, train and exercise of your body. And it's more about an exercise of training the mind. And what I found is, you know, I'll ask you this question, Kevin, which is in your life, in, in your adult life, say the last five, 10 years, et cetera, What's the longest, and you've done some, some badass stuff that's outside the scope of most people, but what's the longest you've gone alone in silence? And I'll define that, meaning uh, sleeping doesn't count, so waking hours. Every time you look at your phone, the clock resets. Every time you talk to somebody else, the clock resets. Every time you read something or there's music on or something like that, the clock resets. Um, what, what's the longest alone in silence in your own head with no external inputs do you think that you have spent? And. In, in truth, Colin, um, and, and let me qualify it, but I, I, I would say about an hour because even though I am known for solitude, I'm known for taking off. I'm going to take off in a, in a week for almost a week, uh, alone, but it's really hard for me to just sit in solitude. Um, I can be alone and I can go for an epic ride or a run. And I'm doing that. And you know, that's an activity based thing. I'm, I'm yeah. doing something I can, I can write on, I can write either it's my own book that I'm you know working on or I'm writing ideas and thoughts. It's always filled, but just to sit there and yeah, th- I'll start there. I've got, I've got a couple other yeah. things I want to, I want to dig in with, yeah, you no. on that. but in truth, so, no, I don't, I don't even an hour is it's, it's, it's substantial to even do that long. A hundred percent. And look, that's, that's the, that's the common en- answer. And honestly, you're already, you're out there on the way further, further edges of, you know, three standard deviations away from the mean, from the average person being how much time you have spent alone, how much time yeah. you pushed yourself on bikes and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but that, that's common, right? We have these smartphones in our hand and this book is not vilifying technology. I'm on social media. I am mostly yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm usually checking in with things day to day. But I've realized, and and again, this isn't like now become a monk and don't do anything. This is about how do you integrate this into your life? That's what I'm saying. Do it, but one day, a one day reset. And I'll I'll tell you where I kind of came up with this premise. So um, I crossed Antarctica solo in 2018. uh, First person in history to make a full crossing of the entire continent of Antarctica. Can I I ask you about that, Colin, real quick? Because looking and I mean, I know you've got your list of your other world records and, and feats. Is this the only one that you have done? or the primary one that you have literally done solo. I mean, you didn't um, do, you didn't do Everest alone. You didn't do the rowing alone, even in the triathlon. I mean, you're with a group of guys. This is a 
total butt solo. Was that kind of the... Yeah, totally. So my other world records, you know, from my mountaineering records and, and stuff like that, I guess I the, the the rowing records, that was with the team, it was six of us. The other records are records that just have my name next to them, but they have a whole team of support behind that them. That was right? my point, I right. Had different buddies climb different peaks with me or, you know, support systems in place and things like that. So with Antarctica, I was literally dropped off on the edge of the frozen continent um, with a 375-pound sled full of all my gear, all my food, all my fuel. So unsupported means you're not getting resupplied of food or fuel across the way. It's roughly a thousand miles, just under 932 miles. And I have to pull that sled full of all my food and all my gear and be self-sufficient alone for yeah. the entire duration. And, you know, people have attempted this o- over the years. You know, one guy uh, made it 71 days and nearly 900 miles and, and died within the last, you know, 100 miles of this crossing. Super sad. Uh, another really prolific polar explorer made it 50 some days and ran out of food and fuel and had to be evacuated from the continent. You know, there's a lot of people attempting it. And it's just because the math is tough. I mean, basically, I started out, you know, eating 7,000 calories of food per day, which sounds like a ridiculous amount, but I was burning 10,000 calories from day one. It's minus 30, minus 40. I'm pulling a 375 pound sled. Day one, I could literally barely pull this sled. Did you you bulk up? I'm just curious. Did you bulk up, like put some fat on so you had some reserves? Yeah. 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 I mean, I I put on, I put on maybe 15, 20 pounds uh, in that last month. I mean, I obviously wanted to just strengthen muscle and all that. But I also just in the last month was just eating ice cream and croissants and stuff like that. Just awesome training. Extra fat on there. Um, but by the end, I mean, even halfway through, I was a bag of bones. I mean, hip bones, ribs sticking out. At yeah. one point, I remember day 30, day 40, I looked down and my wristwatch, it actually slides like towards my elbow. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I must have loosened up, accidentally loosened up my wristwatch. And then I looked down, I go, no, I haven't loosened up my wristwatch, my wrist. Like that's how skinny I was getting like places that you'd never expect to lose. I didn't think you could lose weight in your wrist. Well, and so for, like- folks, who don't, for folks who don't know, you, you just went, he just went past, he went past eating his body, eating the fat and now it's eating the muscle. So you were, yeah. you're, you're yeah. going downhill now. Yeah. But d- downhill fast. So yeah, I mean, physical demands really, really intense. But what was interesting was that you know, I, I was alone, you know, Antarctica, this infinitely white blank landscape, right? Um, it's, you know, like I said, minus 30, that's 24 hours of daylight, actually. So um, it, the, the sun really never moves that time of year in the Antarctic summer. And so it's just white, and it's like high noon in every single direction. And there's really, once you get in the interior, there's no mountains, there's no rocks, there's no wildlife, there's literally nothing. You're alone in this empty white landscape that's minus 40 degrees and trying to kill you, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's a deep journey into the mind. Uh, more than anything else. But funny enough, and really surprising was there was another guy attempting the crossing at the exact same time, uh, literally the exact same time as me, which meant I actually ended up in a cargo plane being flown to the edge of the continent, shoulder to shoulder with one of the most badass polar explorers in this world, this British army captain by the name of Captain Lou Rudd. He's like the equivalent of a Navy SEAL, special forces right. guy, um, super badass, you know, really, you know, guy I've had a lot of respect for. And we're no longer racing history, but we get dropped off one mile apart from each other. And it's like a ready, set, go, you know, thousand mile race across the continent, not only be, you know, to be the first in history, but now it's a head to head race. Yeah. And what happens on day one is he kicks my 
But like I could barely pull my sled. And before I know it, he just disappears across the horizon so much so that I'm actually crying. This is my really pathetic date. Hour two, hour three, I start crying. But it's minus 30. I didn't realize this. But when you start crying, you feel so pathetic. Minus 30, the tears, they start freezing to your face. I got frozen tears on my face. I can't pull my sled. Day one, the guy who I'm supposedly racing now is just crushing me. um, And I'm I'm defeated. So, you know, that that in itself is is a longer story. But the 12 hours... Interestingly enough, I had mapped it out and I thought 10 hours is the furthest I could possibly, possibly ever pull my sled in a given day. The absolute maximum. I told me that was my, that was my belief. I mapped it out. I can't pull my sled any further. And then Lou kicks my butt. My wife starts saying to me, I talked to her on the satellite phone. She's like, if you're going to catch up, you, you got to go, you know, more hours per day. And I just said, I can't, I just straight up cannot, it's impossible. Sorry. Um, I'm going to be lucky just to keep pulling my sled. And then to my complete surprise on about day, day five or day six, uh, day six, it was, um, I actually spot a tent on the horizon and realize that I have caught up to Lou and we end up shoulder to shoulder with one another. And he starts kind of talking to me and I realize he's kind of messing with me. He's like, Oh, I've got a little bit of advice for you. I got a little, a few tips. And I'm like, this guy's like a badass military veteran. Yeah. He's like, there's no way he's just being nice to me. And so I tell him, Hey, let this be the last time we speak. Like, I was just like, no offense. I'm not wishing you ill will, but like, I, I can't have you like talking to me, right? Like what you're going to say is not going to be friendly. And so I'm like, I'll see you later. But then we're shoulder to shoulder. We're both 300 pound sleds pulling through a whiteout shoulder to shoulder. If you watched us like as an omniscient narrator, you'd see these two guys pretending to not, not talk to each other, walking endlessly across Antarctica and eight hours goes by. Nine hours goes by. He's still right there. 10 hours go by. I'm like, okay, someone's got to stop. But I think to myself, I have to keep pulling this sled. I can't let him finish today ahead of me. So 11 hours goes by. I'm completely exhausted, more tired than I've ever been. And he's still right there. But eventually he reached down for his tent and I pull my sled one more hour to 12 hours. And I take the first lead in this race. And I think to myself, man, there's no way I'm going to complete this crossing ahead of him unless 12 hours become my new norm. Yeah. And so that was day six. And I was ultimately out there for 54 days and 12 hours became my new norm. So for the next 48 days in a row, I didn't take a single day off. I pulled my sled 12 hours per day to get across the frozen continent. So that in itself is a completely unrelatable story of pulling a 375 pound sled across Antarctica. So let me ground this back into yeah. why this yeah. book is about this. And this is a call to action for everyone, which is, through those 12 hours per day, I actually deleted all my music, all my podcasts, all this other than a few, a few albums that I took in there for, for, for just the, you know, in case of emergency, basically my mind was going crazy, but I spent 98% of this time, almost every single day, completely in silence. And I did that intentionally thinking at first, my mind is going to want to fill the space because that's what it's like in the modern world. But I have this thesis, which is, but if I can get used to the stillness and silence, I'm actually going to find these deep flow states, these deep pieces of meditative bliss within myself. And I imagine Kevin, for you as a pro cyclist, you've tapped into some of those flow states before pushing your body. And it's the most powerful, beautiful place, in my opinion, kind of ever. Like when you find that it's just, it's magic, right? And you can just do things that you never thought you possibly could do. Um, I experienced a lot of ones, a lot more frozen tears, a lot more, you know, starvation and this, but I found some deep, deep, deep flow states, um, particularly towards the end of that journey. As my body was breaking down more, my mind got stronger and stronger and stronger. And so I completed that crossing successfully, 
you know, a lot of fanfare, a lot of media press, you know, a lot of humbled by people's curiosity by this um, was great. And I thought, wow, I found this place in myself. How beautiful. And I really had a, a couple of years there where I felt very, you know, tapped in um, from this experience. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And then the world shut down. And I was locked in, in my house, just like everyone else was with my wife and my dog. I was on the Oregon coast where my family has a small cabin and we just hold up there um, for months, completely locked down in the spring of 2020. And I found myself at the opposite of a peaceful mindset. I think a lot of people can remember that moment, right? I felt depressed. I felt anxious. I, all the things that I had planned were canceled, you know, least of my, least of the world's worries was that, but I was living inside my own head, right? Just feeling right. horrible. And so I asked myself in that moment, and after a couple of months of pretty deep kind of depression and anxiety, going, when was the last time I felt calm? When was the last time I felt in flow? When was the last time I felt at peace? And I said, funny enough, despite the challenges of it, it was when I was alone in silence in Antarctica. So I say to my wife, I said, this might sound ridiculous, but don't worry about me. Tomorrow morning, I'm getting up and I'm going for a walk 12 hours long, and I'm going to come back at, you know, at sunset. So I go outside, start walking down the Oregon coast. About 20 minutes in, my phone buzzes in my pocket and I pull my phone out instinctively to look at my phone. And I just have this intuition, like, wait a second, I've been Zoom calling with my family and been whatever, you know, uh, doom scrolling the news every single day. Like, I don't need my, God, I didn't need my phone. Phone goes on airplane mode. And I end up taking this walk all day for 12 hours. And when I came back from that walk, my wife looked at me when I walked back in the door and she was like, Oh my God, just, just your, your posture, just the look on your face. Like you seem better than you have in months. And sure enough, she was right. I had found that, that peace in my mind again, by kind of being quiet, being silent, walking for a day. And so the real premise of this book, and I tested this on many people before I read a book, maybe this, I was like, maybe this is the me thing, you know, maybe this is just the, something in my brain or whatever, but I've now had, you know, several, many, many, many people test this. And my goal is to inspire 10 million people ultimately to take this walk with this movement is I realized you don't have to go all the way to Antarctica. You don't have to, you know, spend however much money and fly to the other side of the world and go on some epic expedition. We as humans, we actually all have access to this and it's completely free. What it costs you is one day of your life. And if you invest that one day, and like I said, I don't care how far you walk, but take a day, put your phone on airplane mode, take a 12 hour walk. The benefits are profound. Those limiting beliefs, that depressed, that anxiety, that feeling of being stuck, that those challenges that you might be facing right now, so many of them can be rewritten just by having the courage and the strength to take a day alone in stillness, walking, moving your body, being outside. It's powerful medicine. It's simple, um, but deeply powerful. And that's really what this book, and more than anything, more than a book, I consider this a global movement, a call to action to say, hey, we, in our modern world, we need this. We need a reset. So anyone listening, I encourage you to take the 12-hour walk. I'm actually doing, you can do it any day, put it on your calendar. But uh, I am, as far as with the book launch, I'm doing a call to action, which is uh, September 10th, kind of inviting mass participation. Oh. Of, of course, all of us walking alone, we'll be walking out our front doors or wherever you are. Um, but uh, September 10th is a day that I'm inviting a lot of people. So Kevin, I don't know uh, how, how you feel, what September 10th looks like on your calendar, but uh, would, would love to have your participation. I, well, I, didn't know, I didn't know about the date, but I, I know where I'm going to do mine. Um, Amazing. I'm, we, you know, we talked about where I am and I actually have the benefit of a, a high mountain. It's really just a forest road. That's, I don't know, maybe it goes all the way from Colorado Springs to Denver. 
uh, and Amazing. it goes right by my house and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it there. I want to ask you though. I want to dig in on reset. I, my, I've, I say this a lot or I cite this a lot. Pascal, one of his most famous quotes is all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And a lot of times it's tacked on there for even just 15 minutes. Now you're talking about again, 12 hours. So here's my, here's the premise I want to throw at you and play with every day. We all use our smartphones. We all know about that. You just talked about that. We all have our smartphones. Uh, we use those just like we use our physical and mental bodies by day's end. It's depleted and you got to go put your phone in the charger and we have to go get in bed and get some sleep. And we all understand that day after day after day. So that's our, our recharge or whatever. But, and here's what I, what, what hit me, Colin is that if you have an iPhone, I, I assume Androids do this. I don't know. But on my iPhone, every once in a while, you get that little alert that says, you have a new OS upgrade, a operating system mm-hmm. upgrade. Do you want that to happen automatically tonight or whatever? And a couple of times I've done it, like in, before I knew better, did it in the middle of the day. Well, the thing shuts everything down, takes a while to shut down, you know, goes black, and then it starts to reboot. And I've had my iPhone and maybe even more so my laptop uh, take a long time. I mean, it takes a long time to reboot and, but when it does, it comes back and it has more capacity it has more capability and it's fixed some bugs. I mean, that's what it came out. Hey, this update's going to do X, Y, Z. And I thought we don't do that. When, when was the last time we just go, we go to sleep. We may go on a vacation. We may go have an experience. We may, you know, veg out and Netflix for a day during COVID and eat a bag of chips or whatever. Those are relief. Those are relief. It's not renewal. It's not an upgrade. Mm-hmm. And I thought we, we don't ever do that. And actually I talked about this. It was last year, Colin, cause I did go away on a getaway and try to spend more time not producing something. And it was like three days or so, uh, but I did, you know, I went out in the woods and did some long runs and whatnot. It still wasn't what you're talking about. I was still thinking about my effort, thinking about my pace, thinking about, you know, whatnot and barreling down a, a trail on the mountain bike and whatever. It still wasn't what you're talking about of just going along with not any effort or production and looking at a, a reboot, you know, you said a reset. We yeah. just don't do that period. And, and that's why I loved your calling us to do this, to go out there. And you probably know more about this than I do. I, I, I feel something. I mean, it's like to sit and meditate for 12 hours. I just, I don't know if I'm have the capacity to, but walking, you at least get to do something. And when you talk about a flow state, I really feel flow most when I am engaged to some degree physically with something. Yeah, no, absolutely. everything you said is so spot on. I love it. The, the, the iPhone thought of, you know, sometimes you got to reboot the, the OS, right? Yeah. Um, that's a hundred, hundred percent the case. And I think that to your point about, you know, look, I, I love taking a vacation, right? I, I love, you know, taking a day and vegging out or whatever. And, and those things are nice relief, as you said, or kind of escapism from, from life. But this is a little bit different. This is a little more intentional. That, that's that, it's that reset of realizing what I found with all, you know, all the people that have done the 12 hour walk so far and myself included, of course, is you might the first couple hours, you might be start thinking about the, the stuff the kind of, Oh, I got this to do list. I got to this, whatever. But after and the reason it's 12 hours, after a few hours, you start tapping into some deeper stuff and go like, Oh, 
I've got this sort of thing that's going on in my life. I got to make a big decision about that I've been putting off. And you spend the time thinking about it, right? Or, or you're, or you're, yeah, you have some clarity on some, some things you're working through or, or some resets to your point of just kind of like letting the mind kind of relax for a bit. And to your point, you know, this book, this concept is really meant to meet people right where they're at. That That's what's so important to me about it. You know, I've done... I've done several 10 days silent meditation retreats, Vipassana meditation, 10 days silent, sitting on a meditation pillow, going deep in the mind. There's a ton of value in that. Um, but to your point, there, there is, you know, a, a high threshold to being able or wanting to do that or being able to find the time to do this. This is something that's saying 12 hours at one hand, it's a long time. It's a full day. But how many days over the last year do you not even remember what you did, right? You you had a full day, you did your stuff, you went to work, you did this, whatever. You will remember this at 12 hours will go by. It'll be tonight before you know it, right? And so it's an accessible um, amount of time. And to your point, I could call, I could frame this and we could call this a meditation. It certainly is a walking meditation of sorts, but it's also accessible if you're sort of not predisposed to, oh, that sounds too woo-woo or this is right, more, you right. know, whatever it is. It's like, hey, man, go for a walk. That's such a human thing for, for all of us, right? And the other thing that's very human is being outside. Yeah. It's being outside. You know, if you go back into our DNA of human beings, you know, however many thousands of years ago, right? We, we lived outside. We have a connection to nature. And in our modern society, it's pretty easy to go from your house to your car, your car to your office, your office to your this, maybe step outside for a few minutes here and there. But to be walking in motion, a little bit of motion in your body kind of gets the blood flowing, allows your mind an opportunity to kind of quiet down, get a little bit of that dopamine serotonin release from that motion and yeah. be outside. I mean, again, it's simple, but this is a reset that's tapping into some of the most kind of primal instincts that we all have. And it's amazing how that is so hard coded and what can come up for us in such a positive way through that. And so, uh, again, I love what you said about the iPhone because that's that's the entire point of this, of saying, yeah. I'm not saying... You might, you will likely discover some things about yourself that you haven't thought about, but it's actually just bringing up to the surface what we potentially already know. It's upgrading that software and saying, oh, I have always had these hopes and these dreams, or I am capable of this. Or you know what? When I do something that's a little bit challenging outside my comfort zone, wow, look how gratifying this is. Look how proud I am of this. How can I apply that to the rest of my life? And uh, one thing I'll say lastly is, you know, you and I, you know, I, I live in Jackson Hole in the mountains. You live in a beautiful place in the mountains, but I've spent a lot of my life, you know, living in cities, grew up in Portland, Oregon, lived all over the world in different cities and things like that. I encourage people to take this walk out their front door. Now, look, if you've got a vacation coming up and you've got a perfect trail picked out to take this walk, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. Um, but I actually encourage people to take this walk out their front door for some specific reasons. One, I want to clarify, and there's a bunch of FAQs on the website, 12hourwalk.com, you know, people have certain questions about certain things about the walk, but is city noise, ambient noise, other people walking past you on the streets, cars driving past you, that doesn't negate your solitude. The solitude is you not engaging with those things. So if you're in New York City, you can walk outside your apartment and do this entire 12-hour walk in Manhattan, if that's where you live. And the reason I encourage people to do it out their front door is this, to your point about a vacation, a vacation we have filed in our brains, myself included, as away from the rest of our life, somewhat of an escapism of like, oh, I need a break from my quote unquote life hmm. to go you know, sit on a beach somewhere or whatever. And look, I'm, this is not, I think that's valuable in its own way, right? Um, but the 12-hour walk, you do it out your front door, 
which means you ultimately, you're going to probably end up pretty far away from your house at some point, but you're going to walk through your neighborhood. You're going to walk through the streets that you typically drive on, places that are familiar. And what's amazing is this experience imprints then on your daily life. Meaning on Monday, when you get up and go to work, and you're driving three miles from your house and you get to an intersection, you go, oh man, I walked past here on, on hour three and I was thinking about this. And so the imprint of this reset is now integrated into your daily life as part of a daily reminder of, oh, right, I had that breakthrough in hour seven and I was over here you know, by the, by, by the church or the school that I drive past every day on my way to X, Y, or Z. And I found even people who have walked around who, who live in you know, places they've lived a long time, hometown type of thing like that. They're like, man, Colin, there were some memories from my childhood that were buried, but I walk, ended up walking past this house and realized that was my best friend from eighth grade. And all these memories came up from this part of my life that maybe, you know, feel, you know, tapped into this childlike mentality or this important thing that I needed to work through. And so there is something extremely powerful about taking this walk outside your front door in a context that also allows you to integrate, right? This is about the experience, but mm-hmm. ultimately about taking this experience back into your daily life and being able to apply it. That's why I say, you know, invest one day and unlock your best life. It's so that on the other side of this walk, you actually can experience noticeable and incremental change towards, you know, improving whatever that looks like for you. Um, So that's also an important distinction. I I missed that part. And that makes sense. I, I just, with a couple of my older kids, we watched Dead Poet Society. Love that movie. Um, Love that movie. And it makes me think of the, he brings them into the classroom and has them all just step on the desk and says the difference of a different perspective of just a few feet is so different. And I can see Oh, captain, my captain. Oh, captain, my captain. And, and here is the town, the city, the area that I live in that I'm driving through mindlessly most of the time. And now to have that experience walking, that's interesting. I didn't get that part out of there. And I, I also appreciate you saying you know, the first couple hours may be odd. I did call in a couple, a couple years ago. And that's been a long time. It's probably seven years ago or so. My wife and I went to Cancun and we did an all-inclusive resort. She talked me into it. I, I had never wanted to do that. I didn't want to do a cruise. Cause I thought what I like cooking and doing stuff. What am I going to do? And so two hours, our first two hours, we're on the beach. They bring you everything you want. You know, you don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I hit two hours and I said, I, what on, we're here for five days. I have, <laughs> I have done all the nothing I know how to do. What what are and it took me so long to get into that. Now by the end of it, dude, I was I was clued in, and I, <laughs> I can do a day of of nothing now that I didn't used to be able to do. That. But I could see that with this twelve hour walk that the first couple of hours, like oh my gosh, it's going to be a massive, more than a reset. It's probably going to be a kind of a dis, discombobulation for life. And that's also why I said when I you know deleted my music and my podcast and all this stuff when I'm walking across Antarctica, the first few days felt like a lifetime, but then there was weeks towards the end that felt like minutes or days because I ended up tapped into that flow. And it's interesting to kind of get through some of those early challenges. The other thing that's interesting about this, for those that are listening to this, what I have found is the experience itself of the 12 hour walk. Of course, the 12 hours is the most potent part of it, the actual walking, but it starts right now. So I, you're hearing Kevin and I talk about this topic and, you know, you're probably at some level thinking, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Is this for me? I don't know. The exercise is starting right now. And here's what I mean by that is that it's likely 
uh, if you're a human being with a pulse, because I would do, do the exact same thing, that you're maybe curious, you're maybe interested, hopefully you're committed and excited about this, but there's also some reservations, right? Like you're going to yourself like, oh, this sounds like a cool idea, but I got a busy life, man, I don't have enough time for this. I don't have enough time for this. Or 12 hours, like, man, that's a long walk. Like, you know, I haven't exercised that much. Like my feet are gonna hurt. I just, I don't like being, I, I don't like being, you know, uncomfortable. You know, this isn't for me, right? There, there's that, there's that voice, even if sure. it's balanced with the positivity, there's that voice of that negativity, which ultimately what that, what is that? Those are limiting beliefs, right? Those are your core limiting beliefs popping up. And what I've found to be so interesting is even for myself, every time I put this on the calendar, I have a few of those pop up in my brain based on whatever I have, go, how oh, busy, I don't have sure. the time, you know, whatever that is. What I found is this exercise, even inviting you to do this is me holding up a mirror to you. This is me holding up a mirror and whatever limiting beliefs, if you're in your car or you're on a run or on your jog, listen to this podcast with us right now, whatever limiting beliefs are popping up in your head right now that are thinking, this is the reason why I shouldn't do the 12 hour walk. I invite you to ask yourself, are these also the same limiting beliefs that are holding me back in other areas of my life? Which I mean is whatever you're applying to this, most likely, most likely is also a loop or a tape that you're running that comes up more often than not in other sort of circumstances yes. when things are invited or things are presented to you. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is to not just sort of point out any one of our individual limiting beliefs, but to say, this is your opportunity to say, I get it. I acknowledge I'm aware these are my limiting beliefs. And now I'm going to fight through that. I'm actually going to put the 12 hour walk on my calendar for September 10th, if you're so inclined or any other day. And then when you actually complete it, you're going to be able to look back and go, man, I had those limiting beliefs about this. I fought through them. I committed. I finished the walk. And therefore, I can rewrite these stories, rewrite these limiting beliefs the next dozen times yeah. they also pop up in my life. Yeah. I have the power to take control of that. So the exercise, in effect, starts the moment you even 1% of you is considering taking this walk and you're analyzing your own interior dialogue as to why you can or can't or should or shouldn't or want or want not to do this. It's interesting because my first thought when I, when you, when I got proposed with the 12 hour walk here and I thought, I, this is just an honest admission. I thought, Oh, I don't need that. I just, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. And, and then the thought of how is this my life? How do I miss out on other opportunities to go deeper by that? And, you know, you remind me, Colin, with this a story that was told me, I think it was Joshua Spodek. He's a professor, uh, astrophysicist, the guy who's done a lot of things. And he told me a story, and I'm going to paraphrase it. And I don't know if it was even a client of his, but it was a friend or something. And the guy, you know, went to see a coach, kind of a life coach, business coach, something like that. And uh, they get into some of the dreams, desires, Everest's, you know, that this guy has in mind and the coach said, well, why haven't you done them? And the guy, you know, this reason and that excuses, you know, you said limiting beliefs, but he's just rattling off the excuses that we all do. And the coach, and this is the story told to me, but go with the premise, uh, said, you know what, I, tomorrow, my, my primary treatment for you diagnosis or prescription is just take a cold shower, just take a butt cold shower. And the guy of course didn't do it. And, and why, you know, and all the things he said, and he, he in essence said what you're saying, all the little reasons of discomfort and why you don't want to do it and why you put it off and a week has gone by. And you still haven't just taken a cold shower. Those are what are keeping you from this next step. So the guy 
goes and takes his cold shower. And then I think it goes on that, you know, for days, then he takes a cold shower and it was the biggest change that he had ever experienced because it just finally, like you said, it just finally got him past those inherent limiting beliefs and excuses. And to we're really where I think you started off chapter one or two or, or, or point one or point two on just the willingness to experience a little discomfort, whether it's a one mm-hmm. or even it's a two or a three, that that is so converse to our current culture to, to, to withstand any discomfort at all. We're all just at a place where we've kind of figured things out the best we can. We're managing. The only thing we want is a little more comfort. We don't want less comfort. And of course you're saying, and that's why you're not ever having the 10. Mm-hmm. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's that little thing that, you know, the cold shower, it's, it's starting your day in that way, whatever that looks like of saying, Oh, yeah. let me kind of rewrite a little bit of my internal dialogue and fight back against this excuse because it's ultimately right. The coach gave this prescription to this guy, not because it was about the cold shower, but it was like, yeah. cool. So now that you've gotten over that, how many other things, what's the domino effect? What's the ripple effect of that throughout the totality of the decisions and choices you make through your life. And that's going to be massively profound found. Yeah. Uh, Colin. Okay. So September 10th, I didn't know that date. So September 10th, 2022, if anybody's listening to this really old, you can do it whenever you want to, but, uh, I'm game. I'm game. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. I'm game to do it. I, well, I thought I knew I was going to do it, but now with you saying the, you know, do it in places that are familiar. I mean, this, I live on this road, but it's not where I go back and forth all day. That's down here. Okay. I may rethink that a little bit. You know, I, I, I say people, whatever, whatever they want to do, the, the sure, importance sure. is taking it, but it's, yeah. uh, you know, just like life, you choose the destination of your walk and you, you can either plan it ahead of time or you can literally walk up the door and see, see where your foot, feet take you, you know? Um, yeah. Check, check out 12 hourwalkcom It's got all sorts of, you know, FAQs and, um, get, get you registered in there. It's completely free, but, um, we, we've got an app that I'm, I'm building, um, that'll, you know, allow you to basically have your phone on airplane mode, but you'll still be able to access Google maps and track yourself. So you don't get lost and stuff like that. Um, um, so a couple of simple things to kind of, you know, aid you in this process, but also encourage you to stay locked in, in airplane mode with no distractions, um, et cetera. So uh, yeah, all that information can be found on the 12 hourwalkcom And like I said, this is definitely an invitation to do this any day. I want people to participate, um, you know, any day with this practice, uh, but uh, September 10th, I'll be walking. We're going to kind of galvanize a large, large group of people um, collectively walking together. Cause I do think that there's some accountability and strength in numbers, right? Knowing, Hey, I'm walking out my front door by myself today, but there's, you know, several other thousand or tens of thousands, however many people around the world doing this on the same day as this and being able to connect back. We'll probably do some fun, uh, you know, maybe some, some live Q and A's or zoom calls or something like that to kind of keep connected as a community. If that is something that inspires you as well, but ultimately, you know, the book walks through all this. The book is a powerful reminder about limiting beliefs and what we can overcome. I'm really, really proud to share it with the world, but at its very core at its simplest core, and, uh, you know, my publisher probably wouldn't like me to say this, but the book is powerful. It's an important companion to this walk, but at its core, we've already explained the walk. It can be explained in yeah. one sentence. You can say it to your buddy. Hey, tomorrow I'm going for a 12 hour walk and I'm putting my phone on airplane mode and I'm going to just walk in silence and stillness my mind, period. Well, That's and, it. and you know what? I, I, I do want to pull that out before we uh, end here. You're in your book. As you go through these 10 limiting beliefs, number seven is I don't have the right friends. On that note, uh, because I, you know, we could talk about blue zones and the power of, you know, the people you had the Jim Rohn quote, who are the, some of the five people we hang around most that you are given this, the, the opportunity to band together with you and others on September 10th. Um, I will probably do that though. I also have a handful of friends in mind and I may throw this out to them say, Hey, whatever date you guys will do it, uh, I'll do it with you. 
Now we're not going to commune and do it together, but the power of having somebody else doing it, that we are held accountable for to not only do it, but that we can commiserate with and talk about the experience afterwards, man, again, that was your another number seventh, you know, limiting belief. What a powerful thing to do that. So whether you join uh, Colin on September 10th, or I would encourage you to find somebody else who will join you and do it on a certain day or do it during the same week that you can journey with may not be anything more powerful to your opportunity than that. A hundred percent. You know, it, it, it's these pods. Like I said, the, yeah. the book isn't go by yourself for a day so that you can be by alone by yourself for the rest of your life. This right. is how do you take it, integrate this back community, the power of friends, deep friendship yeah. and camaraderie. That is so important and valuable to growth. Um, and being able to evaluate some of that is what that chapter talks about. But yeah, whether it's September 10th with us, or you got, you got a sister, a brother, a best friend, a group of friends, your buddies that you're your Friday crew or whatever that is to say, Hey guys, let's all put this on the calendar the same day. And maybe you send a group text to each other. It's 6am. I'm walking out my front door and everyone receives that. They know that they're accountable to that. We're going to all call each other at 8pm or whatever, after I get home and take a shower uh, or the next day or whatever that is to integrate that experience because there's power in that camaraderie. So it's definitely a solo exercise, but something that can be extrapolated and expanded on and added depth to, to have that accountability and shared experience um, collectively. Man, well, hey, thank you for sharing your experience and not going to Antarctica and just staying solo the rest of your life. I appreciate that you came back and put the book together. Man, thanks for taking the time and uh, and just sharing this with us. I am I'm inspired and eager to experience it, Colin. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, have your participation and uh, excited for everyone out there to participate as well. Okay, friends. Again, you can find Colin O'Brady's new book, brand new book, The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life wherever you get books. And you can find him at colinobrady.com. Thanks again for choosing to tune into the Self-Helpful Podcast. If you got value, subscribe, leave a review about this specific episode, and best of all, talk with someone about what you heard and learned today and let the discussion continue. Thanks for tuning in. I hope, I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself.